Podcast, the podcast for high-achieving gay men who have gone to therapy, want to feel better, and get exactly what they want in life. I'm your host, Harvard Law-trained founder and life coach, Jonathan Herzog. Today, we're learning how to unleash your power through DMTs, decision-making trees. We're going to talk through the idea of rebooting, identity crisis, asking powerful questions, and walk through a number of real-life example DMTs from work with my clients. First, I want to talk to you about the idea of knowing you can reboot at any time and not needing to. When you fundamentally know, you can start from scratch, be dropped in a new country, lose everything, have it all taken away, and build it all from scratch again. There's just no need to worry about anything. Worry always pretends to be useful. It's one of these indulgent emotions like overwhelm, indecision, and shame. When you know you can reboot at any moment, you don't feel the urge or the need to stop growing or the need to hold yourself back from the fear of failure. Because worst case scenario, you get yourself back to wherever you are right now. Your baseline is literally now, the status quo. So why not go for the thing? Why not reach for the impossible goal. Why not put yourself in harm's way, meaning you take the risk of doing the thing you actually dream of? This week I took a cold plunge. It was 52 degree water and I was in there for three minutes. I blasted the song in my earbuds when it hurt so good. And it was an interesting experience I'm sure many have spoken at length about, but it just hadn't really resonated with me in the past. But I want to share it with you now from the lens of what I found more interesting, which was our thought work lens. So the first is 99% of the struggle is the thoughts you have before you go in to even start doing the thing. All the thoughts that prevented me for years from even trying the cold plunge. The thoughts leading up to it thinking how I'm going to feel. The thoughts leading up to it thinking of how I'm going to give up and I'm going to fail. And I'm going to judge myself for not being able to do it or not being strong enough. And realizing, becoming aware, looking at those thoughts, taking them out as sentences from my brain and holding them in the palm of my hand. Let that noise go and making a decision whether I'm going to do it or not. So I strip off all my clothes and I get in this freezing water with music blasting and the timer set for three minutes. And it really shows you what it means for things to be really as good as done once you've decided on your what and your by when and your why. First, for the first like 30, 45 seconds, I'm literally screaming and yelling at the top of my lungs. Like, my brain thinks I'm dying. <laughs> and then about 45 seconds in, you sort of have to, you're forced to slow your breaths. And I start to get comfortable and more aware of the physical space I'm in. As a minute, a minute and a half pass, I start becoming more aware of different parts of my body and my fingertips. I'm clenching my hands in a fist and holding one another. I notice my legs and my knees, the way that I'm sitting, how I'm positioned, and my shoulders, and I just sort of get a body scan of sorts. By about minute two, 
which I can tell by the way my, the song was playing, I'm tracking, I started to feel this warmth, this like loving warmth, almost like the water is about to get scorching, like burning hot. It's, it's strange. I couldn't even imagine. And then at about 2.48, the song finishes and it's about to start another. And I know that it's the countdown for the end. So I begin counting down out loud from 20, 19, 18, 17. And I know it's so obviously done and I'm anticipating the end. Knowing the end is near and realizing, wow, like this was hard. I'm kind of forgetting the first minute and a half when I was feeling like I was dying. And like, on the one hand, excited about getting out. On the other, being like, holy fuck, I did this. I'm counting it down. I'm listening to the timer. And the alarm goes off. I jump out of the cold punch and I realize, holy shit, I'm a person who just did this. I showed myself it's possible. I mean, I'm someone who would freak out about being cold because it's, I don't know, 73 degrees in the room <laughs> or whatever the temperature is of the water uh, in the shower. And like, I just hung out for three minutes in 52 degree water without moving. So it's just one small example, one opportunity to jolt the mind and realize there's really nothing we actually can't do. And recognizing we have the ability to reboot and get back to wherever we are right now at any point. It doesn't mean I'm going to choose or want to do the cold plungers again in the future. And it doesn't mean I can go back to the comfort of the warmth of the water I'd like. But that's done. It does show you that you can do anything you decide to. And if you happen to look at that example from some of the life extension research folks, like... David Sinclair and uh, others. It's just one example of how what we're doing gives our body the opportunity to operate at the highest functioning level, which is becoming anti-fragile and resilient. It means that the stress that we choose to undergo makes us stronger. Tearing the muscle fibers, the strength training, the deadlifting, the squatting, that discomfort is literally the currency of our dreams from a physiological, biological level of how we strengthen and increase the resilience of our body. So whether it's windows of non-consumption through intermittent fasting, or whether it's the stress and the growth from strength training and heavy lifting, or the shock and the slowing down of our heart rate, the increasing in our metabolism from things like cold. It shows us in part that not just on a metaphysical or an intellectual level, but in a literal physio physiological, biological way, our systems are built to be anti-fragile and to be able to be rebooted. So on top of knowing and holding that confidence that you can always reboot, you can always rebuild, there's this other concept I've seen come up in many recent days with clients on this idea of the identity crisis. This identity crisis that we face when we achieve incredible success in our lives. 
for so many of us, for so long, for so much of our lives, we've wrapped ourselves in a victim or a martyr identity, rooting our present in a past story about suffering, in a story of powerlessness, a story that we replay on autopilot about a sorry past from our childhood, a story about who we are in relation to others or other forces that had control over us. Listen carefully. You can decide in this instant, I'm speaking to you, to never replay, never re-entertain that story, never retell that story of your past that you've already worked through, and look at what happens when you do this. When you decide right now in this moment, you're done retelling that victim story. You get to ask yourself the question of what does the hero's version of this story look like? What is the story looking at from the lens of my future self? Spend as much airtime, give as much airtime to what the version of your future looks like as you've been doing to retelling some story you have about your past. Now, the thing is, once you get deep in this work, and you've stopped buffering, which is just avoiding your emotions, with things like social media, with porn, with phone sex, with overeating, with overdrinking, overfucking, all of it, you get to see your life for what it really is. And that can be really painful. We have sometimes this identity crisis in these moments that we may fail to recognize unless we call it out and shine a light on it. Because a lot of that discomfort when we put those buffers aside, is boredom. It's empty space we've been trying to fill with, to numb, to reduce the vibration that you might imagine would be in like a glass bottle. And we're filling it with sand, we're filling it with filler in the form of scrolling on TikTok, scrolling on Instagram with the indulgent food, with starting fights, with the blame and the judgment, to reduce the vibration, the shaking of the glass of what our feelings are, those physical sensations in our body. When you look at this identity crisis and you give yourself the space and the compassion to recognize you're shedding a new skin, you're evolving into a new version of yourself, you're up-leveling Many of the folks I've worked with teeter between a balance of nihilism, which is kind of the bucket of fuck it, fuck everything. There's no meaning. Life is so trivial. And teeter between everything is love, unconditional love, and purposeful and meaningful. Now, it is the micro decisions we make every day in the stories we choose to retell, the ones that seem like obvious truths, but they're fabrications we're choosing to recreate, it's those little lies we re-entertain or not that determine whether we fall into the the fuck it camp or the love it camp. Now, on the one hand, You could say, you could have a thought, how insanely easy it is to fall into the nihilism of the past. By the way, side note, the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once is a fantastic exploration of all of these themes in a beautiful, hilarious, awesome sci-fi 
movie portrayal of it. Highly recommend. But anyway, why would you ever choose that thought? On the other side of that thought is that it's so easy to choose, turn the dime on its head. It's so easy to choose the path of love, the path of creation, the path of value, the path of moving forward for the possibility of your future self. That is as easy as the alternative. So why choose the other? There's nothing more freeing than choosing to be done with that victim story that you've been bringing with you to the present day. Nothing more freeing and nothing more terrifying. This is the identity crisis that we can choose to go through. This is the discomfort, the currency of our dreams. Now, complaining about what it's like about leaving this story behind is again the same kind of indulgent emotion that we talked about before, of regret. The indulgent emotion of resistance, of overwhelm, of indecision, of confusion. Emotions that don't bring us anywhere, that don't move us forward, but that just keep us stuck spinning and spinning and spinning. There's nothing more freeing than knowing you choose to put yourself in harm's way, the harm's way of feeling the physical vibrations of your emotions. Knowing you actually have control, connection, and freedom, and love in the world and life you choose to build. That is my wish for you. To lean into those moments of clarity and reject the illusory ease, the temptation, the false pleasure of that nihilism. That nihilistic pull that our, that our culture and our incentives push us towards. Reject that pull, that fuck it pull. Because when you think fuck it, we know the result is always a fuck you to ourselves and our lives. Make the fierce, loving, dedicated, disciplined choice, courageous choice to have love and ask yourself, first, what's the matter, love? And second, what would love look like for me right now and for my future self? to believe in what's possible for you. All right, on this road, as we recognize we can always reboot and get back to the now, and as we begin working through and identifying these identity crises in all parts of our lives, we come across a pivotal tool, which is the questions we ask, which may seem innocuous or seem factual, but can set us off on destructive paths or on value-creating paths. So every opportunity we have is to ask a question that gives us helpful answers, that moves us forwards, or an opportunity to choose the opposite. So I'll give you an example. I was making a decision about whether to stay in a course or not. Part of me knew, of course, this course was not working for me. Well, you know, courses don't work for us. We make them work. But I just knew that what's true to me was I like to find better tools, better technologies, better, more efficient modalities to get the skill that we want to get. Now, I was blocking myself from this wisdom, from this insight, because I was asking terrible fucking questions. Terrible questions like, what should I do? 
What do I need to do? Seemingly innocuous. But how do we check the efficacy of a question? How does it make you feel? What would my mother do? What would my sister do? What are they going to say? Is this okay? What is the right thing to do? First off, when we ask a question, when our brain offers us a question, we want to answer it. And second off, we want to check what feeling does that answer create. So if I ask myself the question, a more helpful question, like if I knew I would be okay either way, if I knew I would learn the skill either way, if I knew I could actually get exactly what I wanted, what would my decision be? What is the hero's version of this story? How is this working for me? How is this perfect for me? What is the fuel, the feeling fueling this decision? And this, my friends, this is how you make any decision. It is the ultimate decision-making framework. So again, say you're deciding between two possibilities, okay? Do you send an important email before the meeting or not? So what we're going to demonstrate is that it's not about the action you take, whether you send the email before the meeting or not. It's not that there's some right decision sitting out there. It's that there's a decision you make right by deciding what fuel you're going to use to fuel it. Okay. So we have this decision-making tree, this DMT, if you will. Like you're climbing a tree in a forest and you decide which branch to go on. And along the way, our feelings fuel every decision, whether we're conscious of them or not. So decisions-wise, do you send the email before the meeting or do you send notes during? Okay, well, your brain by default will offer you, I don't know. I don't know what's right. I don't know. It would decide to languish an indecision. What is the feeling that would fuel either decision? All right, we have two possibilities we've constrained ourselves to. Well, if you ask yourself, why would I send the email beforehand? And you ask yourself, what feeling would fuel that? Well, you might think, I'll be in charge. I'll be the one in control. I set the agenda. Okay, beautiful. Your brain now offered you thoughts that are giving the reasons for why you would take an action. Remember, there's an important line in the model in between. How do you feel when you think I'm the one setting the agenda? We check in with our body. We constrain ourselves to thinking just that thought. I'm setting the agenda. I'm setting the agenda. How do I feel when I think I'm setting the agenda? I feel confident, self-assured. Okay, good to know. Take a step back. Climb back, go back to the decision node, up the branch, okay? And we're going to explore and play in the sandbox of the other decision that you've constrained yourself to. You're deciding between decision A and decision B. Send the email before or not. Again, there's infinite possibilities, but we want to apply constraint in advance to our decision-making set. All right. So what's the feeling that would feel? Ask the same questions. Why would I not send the email and just send notes during the meeting? Okay, well, when you ask your brain that, it's going to offer you new thoughts. I might be wrong. I want to see what they're thinking. I should see what happens. I don't know how it's going to play out. I should see how it plays out. 
Again, a lot of these thoughts may seem innocuous or true, but they're all just sentences. We can take them out of our brain and put them in the palm of our hand. Now, the next step is exactly the same. Pick one of those sentences in the palm of your hand and ask yourself, how do you feel when you think it? And when your brain offers you sentences in the form of questions, answer those questions. So if your brain asks the question like, I wonder how this will play out, or I wonder if they will think this is random, answer the question. What you're saying is implicitly, I don't know what will happen. What you're saying implicitly is they will think my questions are random. What you're saying implicitly is they get to decide how it plays out. So now that you've answered the questions your brain has offered you, how do you feel? How do you feel when you think they get to decide how this plays out? They get to decide how this plays out. They get to decide how this plays out. Okay, well, I feel powerless. Just good to know. There's no should or shouldn't. There's no right or wrong here. You don't have to send the email before or not, but it's just good to know that the feeling driving decision A, send the email in advance, is confidence, and the feeling driving decision B is powerlessness, is fear. So when you look at these two possibilities, now you get to ask yourself, hey, who am I? How do I want to show up in the world? Do I want to show up as someone who makes decisions from confidence or decisions from powerlessness and fear. The decision becomes a lot easier when you're clear on the fuel that's fueling it. When you know you'll be happy either way and miserable either way, it'll be 50-50, positive-negative either way, you can always reboot back to the status quo either way, you get to decide, well, how is it I want to show up in life from a place of insecurity, fear, and powerlessness, or confidence and self-assuredness. Ready? Go. All right. You've made the decision. You say, confidence, I'm all in. I send the email. I'm going to choose to send the email in advance. Now, once we've made a decision, all our power comes through that. The force floods through. We have another decision. We have a new node, a new branch, a new DMT. So you've gone down the big branch and now you have little branches, little branches that open up to you as you've selected the path of empowerment, the path of confidence. Okay, so you're on the little branch, right? And you've decided I'm, the email is going to be sent out before the meeting and you like your reasons for it. All right, now you have another, another decision. Should you just send the email off? without anyone looking at it? Or should you send it to the board for a final, um, a final sign-off of the draft? Okay, note really carefully here. Again, it's not about the action. It's not about what you would do or not do. It's about the feeling fueling it. Because depending on the person and depending on the circumstance and depending on what you're thinking, you'll find that it can be the same action taken by two different people or in two different circumstances 
and you would want to choose a completely different action, sending it or not. Look at how this works. You've made the decision, the email goes out before the meeting. Now you're wondering, hey, should I send it to the board for a final send-off or just send it directly to the other party for the negotiation? Again, we're agnostic. We're totally neutral as to like whether you should send it or not or whether you should get the final sign-off or not, whether you should go on the date or not, marry the guy or not. Again, agnostic as to that. Question here, and this applies to every decision you're making in every part of your life, no matter the stakes, what would be the feeling fueling the decision to just email it directly versus emailing it to the board for a final sign-off? Okay. Let's look at the option of sending it for a final sign-off from the board. Why would you want to do this? What would be the feeling feeling this? You ask your brain, your brain offers you some new thoughts. Well, that is respectful. That is the respectful thing to do. Okay, your brain offers you a thought. It's not a question, so you don't have to answer it. You take the thought. It's a sentence. You look at it in the palm of your hands. You ask yourself, how do I feel when I think that thought? This is the respectful approach. Hmm, I feel comfort. Okay, good to know. Now, how do you feel when you consider the alternate decision of just sending the email off without approval, without a final sign-off? YOLO. Fuck it. All right. How do you feel when you think, fuck it? Like, rebellious. Like, nihilistic like i'll just go for the immediate pleasure now now remember when we think fuck it we say fuck you to ourselves right so this is the important distinction sometimes we want things but in order to discern what it is our deepest desire is what it is pursuing what we want for our future selves look like the way we assess that is by looking at the thought and seeing how we feel. Do you want to choose this decision, to make this decision fueled by fuck it, fueled by YOLO and a feeling of rebelliousness, or by a feeling of respect and comfort? Now remember, these are the little branches, the decision we get to make because we've already made the upstream decision that we're going to send the email in advance, which was fueled by empowerment and confidence, not the fear and powerlessness, right? So we're already in the world of empowerment and confidence. Now within empowerment and confidence, do we want to be fueled by fuck it and rebelliousness or respect and comfort? Notice how much easier the decision becomes. And it's a seemingly disparate choice in the action. In the upstream decision, you said, you decided, hey, I'm going to send the email in advance or the email will be sent in advance because that was fueled by confidence. In the downstream decision, once you've decided that, you actually decided to wait, to pause, to get a final sign-off before it went out because that was fueled by respect and comfort. Those were the decisions made out of love for yourself, for your future self. Even if the actions seem seemingly disparate. Okay. 
So again, to recap, when you're making any decision, you've applied constraint to the options you want to consider. And now the question becomes, what's the feeling fueling it? What are the reasons why? When your brain offers you a question, you answer it, you take that sentence out of your mind, you put it in the palm of your hand, you ask yourself how it would feel, knowing you'll be happy either way and miserable either way, and knowing and asking yourself, I can always reboot. So that covers for almost every worst case scenario. So what if I went for the best case scenario? All right. Once we start putting this into action and practicing and getting in the reps and building the muscle of decision making and of going through our DMTs, we just start becoming decision making machines. Because you realize how much of your life you've been leaving behind by buffering, by spinning in indecision and confusion. Now, an important thing to consider, which we saw in this last example, is that your brain by default will discount pleasure you get in the future for pleasure you get now. So it's just something to be aware of, right? Your brain will default to wanting the immediate pleasure, the immediate return, the immediate gratification. And so when you're thinking about the feeling fueling each decision, you may want to account for, as you get more advanced in this, hey, my brain tends to discount the pleasure I'll get in 10 years or even 10 hours versus the immediate dopamine I'll get from what I want in 10 seconds or 10 minutes. So we can use that to err on the side of, to give more weight to the decision that favors our future, that favors some mild discomfort in the present in favor of some deeper satisfaction and joy in the longer term, if we want. Now, we don't want to use this against ourselves. We want to ask always, how does this working for us? Right? There's no deeper meaning. There's no deeper satisfaction, as the Buddha said, in suffering itself. But just as there's no deeper meaning to boundless riches, right? So what you need to look at is what is the end result you want? And then in deciding what action you'll take to achieve it, you'll have a lot more clarity on that when you've asked yourself, what are my thoughts behind it? What are the sentences and what feelings do those create? Okay. When you start playing in these sandboxes of the different decisions and the different versions of yourself, the different, the different possibilities for how you can show up in this life, you stop indulging in considering that what you want isn't available to you. You stop indulging in making it seem like you just can't get what you want. And you get to ask yourself questions that are helpful, that drive and move you forward. That, that is your possibility. When you ask yourself the question, what's the feeling fueling this decision? And you ask yourself questions that are helpful, that move you forward, when you've dropped the victim story, when you embrace the possibility of reboot, when you identify, become aware of, and allow for the identity crisis of having dropped the emotional buffers, the most powerful decisions of your life 
will come through. You can get what you want most instead of what you just want now. When you look at the thoughts, the sentences running through your mind in the palm of your hand, and ask yourself what fuel that creates. Loving yourself fiercely, making decisions from love, takes discipline and the greatest mental fortitude. And it's the most beautiful opportunity you'll have in this life. you have to check out the gay man's life coach at jonathanherzogcoach.com it is the community of gay men transforming their lives to feel better and get exactly what they want join us at jonathanherzogcoach.com and book a one-on-one consult today and if you have one minute it would be so awesome if you could leave a review on this podcast so we can help spread the word and help more gay men see you soon